Well, good morning. If you Google the words Amazing Grace, you'll find some 28 million videos. There's 281 million different websites or pages to Amazing Grace, but 28 million videos alone. It's such a popular song because it touches the heart. The truth of the matter is that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are so grateful for our salvation. Amazing grace of our God. It's grace that moves us to share our faith in our God. And so as we see in Acts chapter 8, the the church has scattered into Samaria The Jews are now sharing their love of God with their long-time enemies. They'd put aside their hatred, racism, discrimination. They'd put that behind them and they'd begun to see the Samaritans with compassion and in need of God just as they were. They realised that we are all sinners in need of the grace, the love, the mercy the forgiveness of our wonderful, awesome God. That nobody is any better than anybody else. And so there was great joy in the city where Philip was both sharing the gospel and when he was being led by the Spirit of the Lord, was involved with God as he healed many who were being physically and spiritually disabled in the past and being healed and restored. What a privilege to be involved with God in what God was doing. And we elevate Philip perhaps because of the way that God was using him. A fellow by the name of Simon now enters the picture. He's a Samaritan, one to be avoided. He's one of those that we were thinking about last week, a Samaritan. He's an inferior dog. He's second rate. He's one to be avoided. And for many Christians today, we would avoid him because of his practice in dark magic. But all praise be to our wonderful God and the power of the gospel. He too becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. But unlike Philip, he wants all of the glory. He wants all of the attention. He's had it in the past and he longs for it still. And therein lies today's lesson. No one is any better than anyone else. We are all in need of the grace, the love, the mercy, the compassion, the forgiveness of God. And so we come to verse 9, Acts chapter 8. Now for some time a man named Simon had practised sorcery in the city and amazed all of the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention And exclaimed, this man is the divine power, known as the great power. Now that's a messianic term that ultimately referred to Jesus, the great power. But he was known by the Samaritans as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. Simon was a well-known magician. 
but he was not only doing sleight-of-hand trickery as some magicians do, but was actually practising sorcery. He was known to be involved in sorcery. He was involved with the, the occult or witchcraft, incantations, spells, that kind of thing. And this is forbidden in Deuteronomy chapter 18, which says... Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Leviticus 20 verse 6 is equally as strong. If a person turns to mediums or necromancers, whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cast him off from among his people. Those who had watched Simon, those who had followed Simon, were amazed, it says, which, which means they were bewitched, they were astonished. They were held in a state of wonder. In reference to Leviticus, in a sense, they were whoring after Simon. They were chasing after Simon. They were so amazed or astonished. And Simon loved all this attention. He walked around saying that he was somebody great, and they were saying, you're the great power. And the word great in Greek is where we get megalomaniac. This megastar magician was self-absorbed, thought he was all-powerful and he loved being loved by those around him. He loved all the attention. He was both popular and proud. When it comes to pride, pride lurks within every one of us, not that deep beneath the surface. Pride is within each one of us and it's easy to take pot shots at another person's sin. We need to keep 1 Corinthians 10.12 in mind. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. From Psalm 101, whoever has a haughty look, that is another word for proud, A haughty look and an arrogant heart I will not endure, says the Lord. James 4.6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so if we're to take these verses on their own, then none of us have any hope. We've all had a measure of pride. We all have a measure of pride. And on top of the well-accepted practices that are detestable to God, such as the worship of false gods and any practices under the occult we read this in proverbs chapter 6 there are six things the lord hates seven that are detestable to him he begins with proud eyes a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in their community. False witness? 
stirring up conflict, lies, pride, then none of us are safe. Not one of us is safe from that which God finds detestable and in some translations puts it this way, an abomination to the Lord. But all praise be to our merciful God, verses 12 and 13. But when they believed, when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptised, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and the miracles that he saw. No one is any better than anyone else. We are all in desperate need of the grace, the love, the mercy, the compassion, the forgiveness of our faithful God. And no one is any worse than anyone else because every one of us is a sinner in the need of God's grace. A sinner in need of grace. Now in this story, what's actually happening here, this is, this is a power encounter between God and Satan. Not that it's much of a, a power problem for God. But Satan had previously bewitched the people through Simon and now God reveals his, his greater power through his servant Philip. And even Simon is converted. The healing and transformative power of God overcome the destructive forces of evil. The healing and transformative power of God overcame the destructive forces of evil. In terms of spiritual warfare, a decisive victory took place as this city turns back to God. This city turns back to God. This city believed. This city was baptised. Now, following on from the day of Pentecost, this is the first and next reference that we see to baptism. Many people believed the message and were baptised. And while some churches baptise babies, the biblical order is always belief and then baptism. Believe and be baptised. And Simon believed and was baptised. And the Greek word for believe is not just to give some sort of theoretical assent or agreement to, but the Greek word for believe is to be convinced and put your trust in. To be convinced and put your trust in Jesus. In Greek too, the, the word for believe here in this passage is in the indicative case, which means that it is a statement of fact. Simon believed. Simon was convinced and Simon put his trust in Jesus. And he was baptised. Now, baptism doesn't save you. But baptism is a step of obedience after you believe. After you acknowledge that Jesus is your Lord and your Saviour, it's a step of obedience because 
God calls us, Jesus calls us to be baptised. Baptism then is your public declaration to the world around you that you are now a follower of Jesus. It's both a step of obedience and a witness into your community that you are now a follower of Jesus, that you believe. And the Greek word baptizo means to be immersed or plunged, to be totally covered in water, and hence we we baptise by full immersion. And although there are Greek words for sprinkling and pouring, baptizo is always the word that is used. And so if you want to express your obedience to the Lord, if you want to declare your faith in God, that Jesus is your saviour, then we'd love to baptise you. And you can just chat with one of us after, after the service. But as Jesus declared... Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Does that bring a smile to your face? Because you've acknowledged Jesus before others, for those of you who have, those of you who have been baptised, those of you who continue to acknowledge Jesus before others, does it bring a smile to your face that one day in glory Jesus is going to stand before his Father, our God, and say, I acknowledge you are mine. Isn't that wonderful? However, those who were baptised in this instance had not received the full blessing of the Holy Spirit, had not received the full blessing of his presence in their lives. They had not been filled with the Holy Spirit. They would only been baptised into the name of Jesus, but not the Holy Spirit. Thus we see in verses 14 to 17. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, and you can just imagine the apostles going, what? What's going on down there in Samaria or up there in Samaria? We better go and check this out. When they had heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And this lines up with Paul's teaching in Ephesians 5.18 which says, Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled... And in the Greek, it's in the present continuous, which means be filled and go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So keep on asking God to keep filling you with the the Holy Spirit. If you're not doing that, I encourage you to do that. Keep asking God in your prayer times. Ask God to, to keep filling me with your Spirit instructed by Paul to do that. Keep being filled. Go on being filled. 
with the Holy Spirit. And so what occurs here and what follows next highlights that God is in fact a trinity. He is three in one, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And our belief in him must involve all three. To believe in God but not in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour will not save us. People believe in God but don't believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus but not welcome the Holy Spirit reduces our ability to abide with him, to know his comfort, guidance, prompting, empowering and conviction. Satan believes in Jesus. The demons believe in Jesus. But they don't welcome the Holy Spirit. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit upon these Samaritans was both a public sign that they were bona fide believers and his presence in their life meant that Christ would abide in them and he, sorry, they would abide in Christ and he in them, the vine and the branches. You see, Simon was a brand new Christian, having previously been heavily immersed in the realm of darkness. He's a baby Christian, he's a brand new Christian and he has so much to learn and discover about what it means to be a Christ follower and he knows nothing of the Holy Spirit. Thus verses 18 to 19. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So there was obviously some outward sign, something that was obvious to everybody that they had in these people, they had indeed received the Holy Spirit. Now, perhaps it was speaking in tongues, maybe it was something else. But Simon wanted this same ability. And this was probably driven by his past, by his continued desire for popularity, for being wanted, for being needed, for feeling loved. And Simon had previously thought that he had some control over the spirit world through his past experiences in in magic. When he did these certain things, then these other certain things Things were the result. Was he controlling the spirits? Were they controlling him? And possibly he had purchased these abilities along the way. Paid money for them. So returning to this spiritual encounter that we see with Satan we see that he doesn't want to give up easily. He, he never does. And he attempts to use Simon's past and Simon's weaknesses and Simon's experiences, that foothold that he still has in Simon's life, as Simon enjoyed great power and popularity. You see, our past is not erased from our present. Our past still affects our present. 
The process of sanctification can take a lifetime. And I think that for all of us, our past affects us until such time as we're able to work with God to allow him to cleanse us and transform us, to make us more like Jesus. And even then there may well be some residual effect. For some of you women, you've been hurt by men and you still today will not, cannot trust them. For some of you, a previous addiction is how Satan retempts you. For some of you, you suffered a great trauma as a child and there's an underlying insecurity and it's not far under the, the surface. We all have a past and in some way that still affects our present. Why is it that I always respond like that. Why is it that Satan knows just the area to tempt me? Is there something in your past that is the foothold that he has to weave his, weasel his way back in there? With the help of the Lord and our willingness to be totally exposed before him, to be totally honest with him, honest with ourselves, to be, in a sense, naked before God, it's only then that he can bring healing and restoration, good health, growth and maturity. But we need to be totally honest with God and ourselves. And he can only work with what we're openly honest about with him. If we want to keep it hidden from him, if we don't want to address that skeleton in the closet, if we don't want to go there, we keep that door closed. We're not surrendering it to him. Even though he knows all about what's there, he can't work with that to bring freedom and release. And Jesus said the truth will set you free. Open it up. Ask God in your prayer times. Get honest, get real with him. What is it that's causing this reaction every time from me? He might remind you of something that occurred many, many years ago where you need to ask for cleansing or you need to work through forgiveness. And so I encourage us all to to get honest and to get serious with God, to ask him to reveal how our past is affecting our present and then ask him to bring his healing. And ultimately, this is what Simon does. Certainly, Peter pulls him up, but he responds with humility. Verse 20 to 24. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, Simon, because you thought that you could buy this gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent. 
Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Again, remember, he's a, he's a brand new Christian. He's a baby in the faith. Oh, will you pray for me? We're often not very patient with our brothers and sisters who are on the road to becoming more like Christ. We're often not very patient with those who are struggling with their past, often because we don't realise that they're struggling with their past. But maybe we need to be more thoughtful about that. I wonder, is so-and-so always react this way because there's something from their past? And although Peter rebukes Simon, he calls him to repent so that he might be spared. And remember it was Peter who had spoken those words proclaiming the death of Ananias and Sapphira. Here he calls for repentance and Simon who once declared himself or others around him declared him as the great power, he humbles himself before the Lord as he fears for his own destruction. He appeals to to Peter to intercede for him. There's nothing wrong with asking somebody else to pray with you and pray for you. Ask Peter. Ask somebody. Ask them to pray with you, to pray for you. I think Simon's beginning to grasp how powerful God is and how small and inadequate he is, how no one is any better than anyone else. We're all in desperate need of the grace, the love, the mercy, the forgiveness, the compassion of God. God's not to be taken for granted or used for our own needs, for our own, to our own ends. And so are there areas in our lives where we know that we need to repent? Areas where we know we need to turn away from those things and be disciplined in our resistance to temptation. Get serious. Are there areas where we, we still allow our past to dictate who we are and how we behave? And at times we're not very gracious. Is it something from our past that's affecting that, causing that? Are we hoping for God's full blessing without spending time with him in prayer and reading his word, without being honest before him? We want him to transform us, but we don't want to do the hard work. We don't want to spend the time with God. In this passage, Simon believes in the Lord and his power to save. And praise God, Simon is saved. Life is short, hell is hot, and eternity never ends. Do you sense the Lord calling you to respond to him today? then acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Saviour and come under his glorious grace. 
And for those of us who might see a little of Simon in ourselves, struggling with our past, seek the Lord in prayer. Perhaps with someone else. But be honest with God. And again, come under his merciful grace. Amen.